You must remember this A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by Welcome everyone to another episode of the In Real Deep Podcast Brought to you in part by Tazini Media I'm your host, Steve Cimino, senior writer at InRealDeep.com, and with me, as always, is executive editor Andrew Johnson. <laughs> Welcome back, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you're here. We're doing a podcast, just like we, I, just like we were meant to do, always. I, I know. So much has changed since the last time we recorded. Yeah. Uh, I can hear your higher ceilings and all that. <laughs> That's uh, right. This is, this is my first episode from Los Angeles, my new home. Yes. Our InRealDeep's West Coast Bureau. We sent him out there. <laughs> That's right. That was the only reason. Felt and, like we needed someone out there in the epicenter of the and, movie universe. And when I lived in D.C., it was kind of cool. Like, oh, you do a movie podcast, and now I live in Los Angeles, and I feel ashamed because I feel like every person in my building does a movie podcast or writes a every, movie blog or every barista you get coffee from. Is like, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. I have no unique qualities anymore. I'm the same as everyone else, and it's very sad. Yeah, well, it's all right. You, before you know it, you'll be you know doing a dance number on top of your car on the freeway. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's the impression I get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or murdering Kevin Spacey. One yeah. Two. Something yeah. Los Angeles-y, for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> is that an L.A. Confidential deep cut? Or, yeah, that uh, is. Okay. Yeah, to, I don't know, I'm know if there's another, there could be another L.A. movie that, that where Kevin Spacey's murdered. He might know. be. I was just trying to fix something real quick that involved Los Angeles, and that was the first thing that came to mind. So <laughs> It's right in the title. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's why my brain happened to go there so quickly. So It's that quick wit people always talk about, you know? Yeah, quick references. Well, speaking of quick wit, now we're about to talk about a movie with lots of it. Sure. So you say. I can't vouch for that at all at this point, but I'm told that by you and reviews and history. So and everyone, ever, everyone ever, <laughs> and everyone ever except for me, because what we're talking about today is we're departing from our usual format of reviewing and talking about things that just came out, and we're dipping back into some classics, and we just we're trying to just shake things up a little bit and have conversations about things that we haven't seen, and just really go deeper into film history and just films in general. And the first movie we're going to discuss in that regard is Casablanca. Because I've never seen Casablanca, and I'm going to be 32 years old, and I work Shame. on a movie blog. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> it's not my... I know you've been giving me shit for this for, what, five years now, as long as we've known each other? Five or six? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, as soon as, I, as, it, was, as, soon as it was revealed, I usually assume that most people have seen it. <laughs> Especially, Although again, I'm... people who like movies, you assume they've seen it a long time ago. In fairness, uh, until last night, my wife hadn't actually seen the end of the movie, so... <clears throat> But that's now there's good. just one, one more person to isolate you further, Steve. So. That's right. Well, not anymore. That's why we're doing this. This more yeah. as much as anything, this is the push I need to really sit down and actually watch it. So yeah. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna tell you what I think Casablanca is because I know so little about it. <laughs> what I mostly know is like parodies from The Simpsons and The Critic, and yes. you know probably parodies of things that I don't even realize are parodies or references Absolutely. to it from other movies. Like I'm sure Leslie Nielsen. I'm sure like all the spoof movies have something that calls back to it. And then I want to hear about your your movie-going wife experience, and then we're gonna we're gonna pause for a break of interminable amount of time and return to you, and then tell you what the movie was like. At least an hour and forty minutes, because that's yeah. about how long it takes to watch it. Probably a little bit longer than that. That's good. It's only an hour and forty. I can knock that out real quick. 
Yeah, and it's it's a fast paced uh, fast paced movie. But I, anyway, I don't I don't want to spill any more details. I want to hear <laughs> hear what hear what you think. It's interesting you say that before we go into it because like uh, I remember uh, my wife Amanda went a few years ago. She hadn't ever seen The Godfather, um, and so we sat down and watched that, um, which is a much longer ordeal. Not an ordeal. It's a great movie, but it just you know you got to set aside a full night. Um, but she like after it was over she's like oh i get so many more like yeah it's just one of those castle link is another movie that's just it's just like part of the zeitgeist i was talking about it at, at uh, on friday at work with with people and a bunch of them had never seen it and um and uh one of my coworkers is like uh, i hope i'm not spoiling the movie for you steve she's like isn't that where someone gets on a plane at the end and i'm like yeah <laughs> Pretty much, you got it. Yeah, that's it. That's the <laughs> more movie. or less. It's like in the zeitgeist, so everyone knows like the a lot of the famous words and lines and stuff like that. And, sure. Um, well, like you said, it's been parodied. Uh, uh, I, I mean, even I think the year a year or two after it came out, the Marx Brothers did a movie version of it called A Night in Casablanca. Uh, and so ever since then, it's been it's been parodied because it's so such a great beloved movie. I mean, it's yeah, it's funny, and everyone parodied it too. So. I had no idea the Marx Brothers did it that quick. That's an amazing turnaround for a, for a parody. Yeah, I'm a little worried they're like the scary movie five of the, of the <laughs> 1940s. Uh, but anyway. <clears throat> well, the only thing I will say, the only thing I would, uh, like a few weeks ago, I would have probably known even less about this. But because yeah. you turned me on to the You Must Remember This podcast, uh-huh. which is a great podcast that has hundreds of episodes now, or at least 100 episodes about Hollywood uh-huh. history yeah. and such. And, and I listened to one, they would do a series called The Blacklist, where they talk about uh, that era in Hollywood of the communist fear and the Red Scare and all that. And there's an episode about Ingrid Bergman and about uh, Humphrey Bogart, and that real that gave me some insight that I didn't have into the movie. So that is sort of cheating, yeah. but cheating in the good way, cheating in the knowledge building way. So don't yes, Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman, who is Isabella Rossellini's mother, did you know that? I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there fun you facts. go. So many fun facts. Yeah. Well, here's what I know about Casablanca. I know it is. I know it is during World War II. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yep. So far, okay. so good. Set during World War II and filmed during World War II, I believe. So really. Correct. And yeah. it actually, uh, it actually um, came out three. This is true. Three weeks after um, the Allies entered um, French Morocco, which is where the movie is set. Um, so that actually, at the time gave it a little bit they say a little bit of a a boost at the box office not that this movie really needed that but um yeah but uh yeah so anyway that's unique to me too because i mean how many movies actually come out about the war you're currently in i guess now they sort of do because we're in endless slogs of wars that will never end but in traditionally i feel like you you the, the dust settles at least a tad before a movie comes out well i think you have to remember though that uh, the big studios make far fewer movies today than they did in the, and this is something probably if you're deep into, you must remember this, you start to realize um, the studio era, era, you know, like Humphrey Bogart, for example, would be in like seven or eight movies a year. Cause he was in, under contract to Warner brothers. Um, and so I actually, my guess is there are probably more contemporaneous movies back then um, just That's because true. the studios were making so, and, and there wasn't the competition of television and, you know, the, the studios were in a much safer sort of financial place, I guess. Yeah, and that's another thing I learned about this movie, too, is that it would, it would, you know, and I knew this, I think, sort of, but not to this extent, that it was just one of many movies that was released and with Humphrey yeah. Bogart, with Ingrid Bergman. Like, it, it didn't, no one expected it to be anything special, and yet it just happened right. to be something for, you know, probably numerous reasons that turned out to be great. 
So that yeah. was interesting to me as well because that's such a departure from what we're used to. And even then, like I, I knew there was, I knew that wasn't Humphrey's only movie that year. <laughs> but it was interesting to hear that he t- pumped out a bunch, and this one was just one of a, you know, one of the barrel. I think like literally a few months before that, maybe at most a year, he did the Maltese Falcon, wow. which is an- another one of the all-time great Bogart movies. So yeah. Yeah, was, and there's probably was, like six in between that were garbage, but you know, <laughs> and that he mostly made garbage throughout his career, right? Like he had a weird stretch here where I feel like he killed it, but there was a long time when he was just a guy. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, he we, we know him now for these amazing roles, but it's not like he now, now we sort of expect our actors and actresses to be great throughout their careers. Like if you make two bad movies in a row, you're cooked. Like how what a waste this guy this guy or girl has lost the magic. But just just imagine back then how the turnaround and the you know the amount of just quantity they were dumping on people. It's just such an interesting change from how things work today. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's so I know con- that, and that's context. That's not, <laughs> that shows what I know about the actual movies. I'm just giving you all the context I have, <laughs> and none of the actual content of the actual movie. But uh-huh. so I know they're in it. I know he plays a guy named Rick. I know uh-huh. there's a, a piano player guy who's important. Sure. Uh, I think his name is, is Louis. Is that Louis or is Louis the Nazi? <laughs> You're thinking of Louis Armstrong. <laughs> no, one, no, I don't think. Is no, there a person named Louis in this? Sam, it's Sam. Sam, the, that's right. The, the the line everyone gets wrong it's is pl- played again, played against Sam, which is the name of a Woody Allen movie. That speaking of being in the zeitgeist, that's I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it's uh, Woody Allen hallucinating. Uh, it's a comedy, but it's hallucinating that he um, he's having a conversation with uh, Humphrey Bogart's character from Casablanca uh, the whole time uh, about his love life, basically. So it's, it's oh. Uh, it's I, I think Woody Allen's kind of disavowed it now. He didn't actually direct it. He just wrote it. But uh, I still think it's pretty funny. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's Sam. Sam. Dooley Wilson is the actor who played it. Gotcha. Him. Okay. Well, there's Sam. There's a Nazi. I don't know the Nazi's name. But I remember seeing the Nazi talking to Rick in a parody from The Critic. So I assume Rick works with the Nazis in some capacity. Nope. Nope. Not really. <laughs> no, I, I think you're conflating the Nazis with the um, Free French and Vichy. Oh, movie. perhaps. There yes. are Nazis in this movie, but the Nazis are the bad guys, though. Presumably, a, they're the super bad guys. But then there's a a, a a a prefect of police who's sort of under the thumb of um of of the Vichy government in France, um, who is kind of a but he's kind of a neutral. Wheeler Dealer type played by um, Claude Rains. So, yeah. Okay. Claude Rains, mm-hmm. hey, the Invisible Man. That's something. Yeah. That's yep. fun. I don't know what he looks like, really. He's invisible usually, so <laughs> I'll find out. This is your chance. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really all I know. Like, And that's kind of fun for me because there's so many. Even when I go to the movies now and see anything at all, I know so much information. And older movies, I traditionally I know th- this thing I know bits and pieces of. I just know tidbits here and there, like the broader story or why they're doing what they're doing. I'll, so much of that is just information I somehow have never picked up. So I'm actually really excited to watch this because it's about as clean of a slate, I think, as you can get with a classic movie or a new big movie like of anything really like i just it's so i'm a person i do i do like having that context and for whatever reason i just never gathered it here so i'm actually intrigued to see what it is all about yeah and i'm kind of intrigued to see what your impression of it is because i could see you uh, there's i think you're gonna love the movie but i i I could see a scenario where you're like "Eh, it's nice but um (laughs) would that break your heart no because i i uh i i get that 
it's not um you know i've i've recently reading a book about it it's 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 not like i don't think it's like the greatest you know piece of art or what you know it's but it's just um it's just eminently rewatchable and it's so fast paced and it's, it's funny and it's romantic and it's dramatic and it's got polit- this political element to it. Um, it's just kind of got everything. Uh, and it's just this movie that makes you feel sort of like, you know, warm and fuzzy inside, which kind of leads into, I, I saw it last night uh, for the first time on the big screen. Um, I, I've seen it you know, probably scores of times the movie, but never, never seen it on the big screen. And that was a whole new experience, but I'm sitting there in the AFI silver in silver spring, Maryland, um, which I know you've, you've been to that theater in the big theater. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever been in that, that part that's, but it's a, it's a larger one. And this thing was like 75% full for a movie that came out 75 years ago. And this is a theater that seats, you know, a couple hundred people probably, um, which I think sort of speaks to its, uh, it's staying power. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it is the 75th anniversary of the movie, I believe, later this year. So a good, good year to be be watching it. And then, uh, you know, I, I got to go with it was part of our my anniversary date with my, my wife. She'd never seen the movie the whole way through. Um, and I, I have to say I had this very gratifying experience. You know, we had a couple drinks before we sit down at seven because there because it's an old movie. There are no trailers before it. So it starts right away. And, you know, we're, we're actually at the AFI Silver. You can you can drink. So we actually decided to get champagne there because we were mm. like, you know, let's, let's, let's celebrate and be old time. And, you know, uh, Amanda leans over to me at like 20 minutes in. And she's like, how have I never seen the end of this movie? It's so good. Oh. It's so good. <laughs> Which was like a very gratifying thing for me because uh, it's my it's my favorite movie. So so that was a, that was a nice, nice experience. And that's I'll, great. I'm I'm excited to talk about it with another another first timer and 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 cinephile, because um, it is, I mean, I mean I like I said I I could get you not being as enthusiastic about the movie as I am I'll be shocked if you are shocked shocked which is a there's a castle like a reference for you <laughs> uh, uh, if you uh, if you outright don't like it or something like that that it's would like, be surprising as well I'm I'm going well, into it hoping that's that it's going to be good <laughs> so. I, I think there is a sort of a subculture in criticism that is not kind to it i believe pauline kale is sort of the, one of the champions of uh you know mocking you it. to casablanca it's a, a sort of a schmaltzy you know uh is that, a, is that a context or is that a not context is that a you know reputational thing is that because it's so widely regarded that she's just saying look it's good but it's not great or she's straight up saying i just don't like it uh, I mean, I don't. I haven't read enough of her actual yeah. criticism of the movie to know. I've, I've just read a recently read a book about it um, about the movie. Um, the book's more about it's 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 both a history of the movie, but also about its sort of place in pop culture and how it's how it sort of rose to its 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 um its, its status. Uh, and so, my sense is it's more the the latter. You know that it's like, come on, guys, this isn't. But, you know, the whole book is sort of about, you know, no one puts it at the top of their top 10 list or whatever. I do, but whatever. Most people don't. <laughs> Most people put Citizen Kane or Vertigo or, you know, some much Godfather. more Godfather. Yeah, artistic film. Um, but I think the book goes out of its way to sort of make the point that um, 
it may not be the best movie ever, but it's it's without a doubt the most beloved movie. <laughs> I don't think there's there's even any competition, to be honest. Interesting. Um, okay. Uh, maybe that's not as true now as it was like 20 or 30 years ago, but uh, maybe Star Wars or something like that is starting to creep in on it. But um, but uh, you know, so that's 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 uh, that's why I'm I'm, in, I'm interested to see what you think. <clears throat> yeah, and I honestly, you know, and again, th- that sort of workman quality we talked about of movies those days did lead me to believe that it's not going to be you know a stylish spectacle necessarily. So I'm just intrigued to see how it's so good if it's not really. If it you know it does doesn't have the panache or the the sort of artistic uh, overwhelmingness that some of those other movies might have, so I'm, I honestly don't even know what to expect, and I don't have high expectations, so I don't think I'm going to go into. I know people say it's so great, but I don't think I'm going into it expecting it to be something amazing. I'm just sort of more curious to see what it's all about. So I feel like that's a good mindset to have too, is just going, yeah, let's see what this is. Like everyone says it's so good, I don't feel the need to be combative. It's not like when you and I were talking about the Simpsons movie, and I feel the need <laughs> to tell you it sucks, even though I don't know. And that's a horrible comparison that I brought the Simpsons movie on the Casablanca podcast. But just sort of reiterating that I do, I do go into things with a combative or you know prove me wrong mindset here, yeah. and for whatever reason, I just never have associated that with this movie. So yeah, so let's see. It'll be a good little mm-hmm. adventure. We're gonna come back in a little bit, and we're gonna chat about Casablanca, and I'm gonna be shocked at all the things I didn't know. And shocked, shocked. <laughs> and you can poke holes in me, and we'll have a great little conversation. Cool. Sounds all right. See you after the break, everybody. Late once, Sam. For all time's sake. I don't know what you mean, Miss Elsa. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. You played it for her, you play it for me. Well, I don't think I can remember. If she can stand it, I can. Play it. Welcome back to the In Real Deep Podcast. Time has passed. You, it may seem seamless to you guys, but through the magic of audio editing, we've moved forward in time. And in that time in between, I've seen Casablanca, and we're here to talk about it. And Andrew, I don't know if you're going to like my opinions, but I think usually that <laughs> leads to the best podcast anyway, so maybe that's for the best. Well, yeah, we'll just find out what, what you thought. We've, we've moved forward at least an hour and 45 minutes that's so right. in time. Beyond that, it's a mystery. We'll never tell perhaps, you. Perhaps more, but at least that much. <laughs> well, I will say I understand why this is such a beloved movie because it's really good. And, it you know, I think we talked about the weight of expectations. And I think that certainly factored in because it's regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time. So the whole time I was watching it, I will admit that I, I wasn't looking for what would be wrong with it, but I was looking for what would make it so special. And I think that's a, that's obviously not the best way to watch a movie, but I feel like it's hard to avoid, even though I, I think I said that I was, you know, not bogged down by that. But but it, it did sort of creep into my mind, like, hmm, is this what people like? Is this why people love it so much? Is this what the big scene is? But I was extremely impressed by, and this is one of the things I really like, and I feel like this is way more older movies than newer ones, and you can back me up on this because you've seen way more than I have, but it it moves forward and you have to keep up with it like right. they don't take time to say these are all the mm-hmm. stupid characters this is why they're here there's no like exposition that is grating and takes forever it's just a movie and it's a story and they trust that you're not idiots and you can follow along and at, at, at first that was a little surprising because i was like well i gotta keep track of who these guys are and <laughs> girls but then it becomes great because i like not having my handheld you know 
Yeah, well, it's I mean, it's very it's a very self-contained story, right? I mean, and and like uh, we've talked about this like a million times, I feel like on this podcast and in our reviews, but there there's like these the 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 world there's world building going on, right? These these rich character not world building. There's these rich characters that you know have this great backstory. I mean, of which Rick Blaine is sort of like the best example. Like, uh, but you don't ever get that filled in because the plot's moving so fast that you just have to keep up and try to sort of understand a piece of him. Like, why is Rick not allowed to go back to America? We don't know. Why, why did Rick like run guns in the thirties and then he stopped and now he's sort of playing like both sides in Casablanca. We don't really know. Um, but the, the story keeps moving and you, it lets you understand enough about him as a character without any, like, without any real backstory with the exception of the backstory of the love story, of course, um, that, you know, you, you kind of have to, yeah, like you said, keep up. And that's, that's, what's so great about it. It doesn't, it, I, I think one of the things that's great about it, it doesn't try to do, um, more than it needs to, to, to tell a really great story. And I think we kind of talked about this before, uh, you saw it, but it, it's kind of a, it's, it's certainly like the pinnacle of the studio era, right? When like Humphrey Bogart and everyone was making like seven or eight films a year, you know, like you don't really have time to like, you know, go and shoot in 12 locations when you're making seven films a year <laughs> or eight films a year. And you can't go to Casablanca and then shoot like the flashback scene in Ethiopia when Rick is running guns or something like that. You know, you just kind of have to like, let little pieces of dialogue explain who the characters are. And yeah, and that's, I think that's, a, I never even thought about that until you just said that, but I think that's a great point that allowing that, you know, building around the limitations and factoring them in and being smart in how you tell a story because of what you have to do, oftentimes that leads to the best product is you don't spell it all out for people. You have to do something a little different or be, go a little off the beaten path or like you said, or just leave things out entirely and let them be mysterious and interesting and let you pick up on what you pick up on and not punish you for not memorizing every nook and cranny or understanding every element of it. I think that's something I really liked and I think that's probably, a, I'm not sure why that's a lost art or a strategy people don't employ now. I assume to dumb it down to the you know most people possible and not worry about making good things as opposed to making accessible things. Things, but it was refreshing to see that that used to be the way at least for the good stuff obviously there's things now that do that too but it just it, it's for such a you know popular movie at the time with such wide acclaim i was happy to see that it didn't pander to anybody at all yeah and it's sort of like i guess the studio area is good and bad right i mean like it it like we realize intuitively that like there are a lot of there's a lot of shit like on the heaps of history uh, <laughs> that we never see because, you know, it's not worth seeing, really. Um, but like this movie, I've been thinking a lot about like this and our conversation and, and, and also getting ready to write my film 101 piece, which will go up soon. But um, like this is like a thumb in the eye, a direct hit on like the auteur theory of filmmaking, which... I think you and I both generally subscribe to, right? Like the the idea that, you know, the best films are made by these visionary directors who do everything. You know, they write the script, they you know, they're they're so their their hands are on every piece. You understand the history of Casablanca, you understand that, you know, at least four or five people touch the script and 
I don't care what you say about anything else about the movie, but that's that's one of the greatest scripts ever written. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, and and you know you had a, a big studio behind it with some standards, and Michael Curtis is the director, but um, or Curtis, I should say. I think that's how you say his name. <laughs> but you know the this is like the antithesis of 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 that. You know it 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 and it's it does feel like one of the things that I think is magical about it. The more I watch it and the more i read about it and understand about it is it does feel like this it, it feels like they caught lightning in a bottle like everything was just perfect for this movie and i think there was probably a lot of shit around it that was not you know that humphrey bogart did and everyone else did that wasn't great um but like for this x number of weeks on a back lot at the warner brothers studio lot you know they made something that was you know that'll that we'll be talking about forever that's that's so ever present in like the zeitgeist that as we were talking about before you know you don't even need to have seen the movie to know the parts of it you know yep. so and, and there were so many scenes that i saw that i was like oh this is you know the there's so many famous lines so many famous moments that i like i that are you know spoofed and replicated so many other times so that was really cool to see too it was like watching history like film history so right. that was sort of the other side of being aware of you know how successful this film was and sort of trying to figure out why it was also <laughs> seeing these things that are so icon iconic and saying whoa there they are all like you know back to back to back things happen that you know i, I mentioned to you before that uh the karina longsworth pod the karina longworth podcast you must remember this uh i just realized that the theme song from that is the the song from casablanca <laughs> yeah and that's crazy and i didn't know that and i mean how would i i've never seen the movie but just yeah. little things like that made me perk up and really like it and then like you said the script and uh, Bogart's performance in particular were, were as good as advertised. And Claude Rains, too. Claude Rains is fantastic. Mm. Claude Rains is so funny and so witty and clever. And, like, it's just, I mean, he's, I, I really enjoyed every scene with him. Like, he has a spark that I thought was made every, you know, sort of conversation or scene that didn't have Rick in it or wasn't really pertinent to the main thing. He made them all really flash. And I like that a lot. I think I could watch Claude Rains and Humphrey Bogart banter till like the end of time, pretty much. I mean, one of my rewatching. So I went and saw it again at the, in the theater for the first time, and uh, and and one of my favorite lines in there, which is not one of the more famous lines. Um, I think it's either Claude Rains or one of the Nazis. He's like sitting at the table with Rick, and. Um, they, one of them asks, why did you come to Casablanca? And Bogart goes, I came for the waters. And the, like, whoever's talking to him goes, well, what do you mean? You're in the middle of desert. And he just deadpans, I was misinformed. <laughs> it, just, it just kills me. I mean, the, the script is, is amazing. I, I, the other thing I, I, I've, again, been thinking about this a lot. And we, we, we have to talk about Bogart's performance in, in more detail. But, but I just love all the bit characters in the movie um you know Dooley Wilson who's the Sam the piano player is 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 great you know he's sort of like just eye rolling the whole time like as as, as Rick devolves or, or like goes around the drain um and uh you know even like the the really fat um German waiter who, or Austrian waiter um there's just a lot of like great small parts uh peter laurie's character is great yeah, he's uh, creepy I, I i heard the voice and i was like that's peter laurie like i didn't know yeah, them yeah, by yeah, face right yeah. away but his voice is so recognizable there, and 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 having read uh read read some about this the the great the really interesting thing too is that historically this movie came out 
I think I mentioned this in the first part, but three months or th three weeks, I'm sorry, after uh, the U.S. entered uh, free, free French Morocco and basically took it back from the Germans. So there was this weird serendipity. Uh, but then all of the all of these bit, almost all of these bit, bit characters, even um, uh, Victor Laszlo, the guy who plays him, they were all refugees of, of Hitler's Europe. Um, so there's sort of this. I think that's one of the other things that you that's that is kind of a lightning in the bottle thing. There's there's this bizarre sort of, even though it's a, a big Hollywood picture from that era of the of the big Hollywood studios, there's this sort of bizarre authenticity, you know, just coursing through it, um, and that that makes it sort of great. But uh, you know, I, I kind of want to hear because you're not as in love with this movie as I am. So what what is what 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 is sort of you. Is there stuff you didn't like or what? It wasn't even that I didn't like it. I think it was all pretty great and I enjoyed it. Um, I, ju I just think it it didn't strike me as the best movie I've ever seen. But but that's, <laughs> that's okay. okay. Like that's that's a that's a high bar to that's set. That's a very high bar to set. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's not yeah. it's not necessarily realistic to go into any movie and go, Well, I'm sure this will be the best movie I've ever seen. So I do understand that that's not fair and I don't hold that against it at all. But it was interesting to me because this is the first Bogart movie I've ever seen, too. Yeah. So um, I don't know how interested I am in seeing other Bogart movies <laughs> now because what I love, I mean, I, I, I know what I've read about his career, and I just really enjoyed the like weary, um, attractive, but not really attractive for his moodiness and his mystery as opposed mm. to his, you know, you know, just leading madness that, that Rick had in this movie. And I wonder, are there other Bogart movies that sort of tap into this? I'm sure there's got to be a few, but I, it seems like this one, Casablanca, is, I'm sure, the best and also probably a little bit of an outlier. I imagine a lot of times he played like a pretty traditional leading man. Yeah, I mean, I, With I more guess swagger, I can... With swagger, maybe. I guess I can understand that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of his... Like he, he was in a lot, obviously a lot of film noir, like the Maltese Falcon and Key Largo. And, um, there's a few others I, I can't think of right now, but like, those are, those are like, I guess it, Rick is kind of like to me in the middle of his, like the characters he plays because he's, he's, uh, you know, as Claude Rain uh, says in the movie, you're, I, I've always suspected deep down you're a sentimentalist, which is there, right? But he's got this sort of layers and layers and layers of like, you know, yeah, cynicism, pain, whatever you want to call it, on, buried on top of that. So like it's kind of in the middle. Um, I think there are other Bogart movies you should see, but maybe just steer clear of the film noir stuff and go more for the um, – Mainly for the John, the two John Houston movies are the ones I would I would recommend, which are uh, African Queen and um, and Treasure of the Sierra Madre, where he he really I don't know if he plays against type, but he he's just in, he's kind of a he's kind of more of a low life in those movies. Okay, and and that's that's more that's a more interesting you know if you if you if you're like good with Rick Blaine. Then yeah, I don't know that you need to see him as Philip Marlowe or the the you know the sort of film noir swagger det detective type, but um, you might you might you might still still be intrigued by African Queen and and Treasure of the Sierra Madre and, and those movies. So. Okay, that's good. Yeah, because he is he is tremendous. Like you said, his his witty lines and his deliveries and and even the the little sort of twist at the end when he when he plays runs a little runaround on Claude Rains like he does that all really well like he's perfect for this role 
he you know the, it's like you said the the amount of mystery that goes into him is really interesting and he never gives you more than he has to which i think is a really great performance on his part is you know not hinting at anything really just showing just showing up and being there and and sort of being being clever and being on top of things sort of because he has no other choice like that's the way he is you know like right. it doesn't it seems like he almost would rather not be in the middle of all the shit but he can't seem to help himself and he knows that you know he's in, he's inquisitive and he's he his eyes are always open, and so when stuff starts, he can't help but get involved. And everything he does plays to that perfectly, and that made me really happy. And I thought was, you know, I thought that was the part. That and the script are the two things that I think were just as good as advertised. I, I think, like historically, there's like a real, there's a real like, uh, there's a real American thing going on there, right? Which is like this, you know. What he says in early in the movie, I stick my neck out for no one, right? Which is, which turns out, of course, to be a complete lie. Um, <laughs> it's just not, not a lie, but yeah. he's, he's he's just that's not true, obviously. Um, but you know, you you think about again, this came out in I think 1942. Um, you know, the the decision to enter World War II was was sort of hotly debated in the United States, and there's sort of like a, I think there's like an American quality about about Rick Blaine that kind of makes him so appealing. Um, you know, this idea that, you know, yeah, we kind of want to just be left to ourselves as a nation, but you know, we're, we're deep down, we've got to, you know, we, we're, we can't help but, but do the right thing in the end. Um, I think that's exactly what they were going for, but they also don't ham that up and shove it down your throat. No, like, no, not at just, all. You might sort of sense that innately, like this American's got it all put together. Like, look at him respond, you know, when he has to showing up and making an impact. Like, what a great country we are. <laughs> like, well, I think it's believable because it's true until Ingrid Bergman walks into the bar, right? Yeah. You know, it's true. He's not going anywhere. You know, he's, but, you know, then you then that thing shows up and you have to have to do something <laughs> that about thing, it. So, that, that beautiful thing, thing. That beautiful thing, yes. They, they do have some great chemistry too. Like I know, like especially, I, I, it's, I wonder how much of it was happenstance and how much of it they actually knew it was going to work out that well. But after, you know, these days people get paired together for reasons. Chemistry, I feel like, is super low on the list of why people star together in romantic movies. And they just have it. They have everything going. And, and it doesn't, and it ends in a, you know, and not an ambiguous way, but it it ends in a you know self-sacrificing, greater good sort of way, which which is a great story as well. Like it, it's different. It doesn't you know. And I guess there was consternation about the ending at some point with writers and producers and such. But it's again, it, it's a great ending too. Like it it really it stays true to the character while like you said factoring in his motivation and his desires but then ultimately fulfilling all the elements of his person in sort of one decision right right yeah 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 um that's that's totally right and like this mo that movie doesn't that movie does not work if 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 rick gets on the plane or whatever you know it just doesn't it's not it doesn't have the same impact which i mean i think just speaks to how the movie is is like for what it's trying to be is basically just as perfect as it possibly can be like it 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 has to be it has to be perfect from start to finish to have the place that it does in in the pop culture landscape and and like mission accomplished i guess um yeah uh, I don't know. You know, we're just a couple funny uh, sort of asides, but because uh, you because you mentioned the the ending, um, there for a long time there was a sequel or a sequel script floating around 
um, around wow, one of the really? things, which is terrifying. Um, and then uh, the other amazing thing was there was apparently a TV show, I believe in the 1970s or early 1980s, based off of Casablanca that only lasted for a few episodes, but uh, is just a horrifying thought to me. Um, that there was a, <laughs> there was a television show with Rick Blaine, and I, I guess the sequel is supposed to be about you know Claude Rains and rick and what's oh yeah and about them them going to i'm reading about it right now wow thank god they didn't do that that would have been a nightmare yeah as as much as i love again as much as i love seeing reigns and bogart banter not not necessarily too much of a good thing but leaning on what worked before that traditionally doesn't fall through exactly when you just when you try and make a second one especially like you said the the planets align for this one they're not likely to align again for a second one no no. Oh, no. Ooh, Madonna was pursuing a remake set in modern day Iraq. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like I now I want her to do that. I don't think it's gonna happen anymore, but that would have been really fun for the sake of doing the Madonna version of Casablanca as a podcast. I would love to just see your head just explode with anger. That would be very exciting. Or hear it, I guess. I mean, I it's probably only a matter of time, right? I guess. But, but um yeah, you that know. is that's w- w- here's that's a good question. Would you see the Casablanca remake? Oh fuck no! <laughs> you wouldn't even see it. You see a lot of oh. bad movies. No. You wouldn't see it just for the sake of seeing what they would even try and do. And, and I don't see to... a lot of bad movies anymore. I think you see more bad movies than I do. Well, uh, have, I mean, you have an ex- you have a living, lovely human excuse though. If, yeah, if, I'm if not waiting. When your I'm daughter not... goes to college, you're gonna catch up on all the crap immediately. I'm not... I would not waste my time. I, I don't care who would direct it or uh, I don't need, there's no, there's just no, no way, no way. You, you can't, it's, it's, it kind of reminded me of seeing like, uh, uh, this question kind of reminds me of seeing like the beauty and the beast, um, like live action remake, uh, this earlier this year, which it was like, it was fine. It was fine. It was fine, but it was just utterly pointless. Yep. It was like it was a waste of two hours. Like why? And they did all the things we just talked about, which is like explain more backstory <laughs> when you don't really need that. Like you, you just I'm like, why am I doing this when I could just sit at home? I own the fucking Blu-ray. I can pop it in and watch it anytime I want. It's just a waste of time and money. It's yeah. I agree. It's it's you know it would be a travesty. And but like you said, it's almost surprising they haven't done it yet because they're milking every other. You know, it would be easy money to a certain extent. They could just. They could just slap a name on it and throw some stars in it and they, they and print cash. But for whatever reason, they haven't gotten around to it. And maybe we'll be lucky and maybe we'll outlive the Casablanca remake. I hope so. Maybe, maybe Warner Brothers is... I mean, I'm sure Warner Brothers still owns the rights. So they, uh, they, they, they're just probably being decent stewards of it, unlike the DC comic universe. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, I'm just bringing up Warner Brothers. It's amazing how in that in your brain that movie is you brought up you know you must remember this or as time goes by as the name of the song but um warner brothers uses it on you hear it before every warner brothers movie. yeah that's another thing i didn't realize you know, like you just I, I didn't even really realize that uh, until like i was reading a, a book on castling and i'm like oh yeah that's right and i've seen the movie like you know 15 20 times whatever um it's just it's just it's just in your brain it's just everywhere you know i don't i don't know <laughs> So. <clears throat> it's well I, i'm glad you got me to sit down and finally watch it because i have my my 
knowledge of film history, though I, though I actually have read a lot about it and listened to a lot about it, I have not seen very many old movies. So I saw The Third Man earlier this year, and then I saw Casablanca. Ooh. So I'm catching up a little bit, bit by bit. So hopefully we'll make this into a tradition where Andrew forces Steve to see a great old movie. Steve sees movie, enjoys, and is very thankful that Andrew made him do that. Oh, maybe it'll have to be a, a, a quasi-regular film 101 fixture. <laughs> yeah. uh, I won't make, I won't ask you to do it for everyone because, for example, my next one is Star Wars Episode Four, and I don't think you need to rewatch that movie. Not particularly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's. That's been one of the fun things is going back and either rewatching this stuff or, or, or discovering stuff I didn't, I hadn't really uh, seen or had only seen like once. You know, like I had only seen Taxi Driver once or maybe twice um, before I rewatched it again. And like, it's just those, I mean, they're, they're great movies for a reason, all of them, you know, so. Yeah. And one of my mantras always when seeing movies, I love a simple story done right. I think there's, you can go so far with just that. And so many movies don't do that anymore. They pursue, you know, it's big and bombastic or it's got twists or it's stylish. And those are all, they have their, they have their place as well, but just hitting the story marks is, is, is hard enough and it's ignored too much. And so those old movies that couldn't do the big and the bombastic and the stylish, but but hit everything out of a park that they had at their disposal, those make me very happy. So that's probably why I think I would like the old movies even more is because I would respect what they were going for and how well they did in getting there. Yeah. Well, it's funny you said that because not to segue and promote, promote our own stuff, but that's basically the reason I enjoyed Wonder Woman so much was that it, even though it has a lot of that bombast, uh, uh, it, it's, it's a very straightforward conventional story. It's just done really well. Right. Like, there's so it almost reminds me of that like Damon Lindelof piece from Vulture a few years ago where he's talking about writing the second Star Trek movie I think and just like you get these big movies from the big studios now and you just feel the pressure to like use that enormous budget to like blow up the world and then you just like leave the everything that is important about a movie really like on the wayside you know like, yeah absolutely like, like and and Casablanca is constrained you know it's effectively a stage play I mean by and large you know you could put that on on a stage and and um uh I mean I don't want to oversimplify it but um, no you can though that's and that's I mean <clears throat> that's and that's good like and it's a stage play shot very well and with great with the best actors they could have so like that it makes sense like a really good script gets you so much of the way there supplement that with some other great stuff too and you have a classic so i guess not easy but if you have the tools you can do it and like you said you also need to have the right focus and remember that the the crux of everything core of what you're doing is telling a story so yeah and i also think that there's like this Part of me wonders, again, to go back to that auteur theory of filmmaking, you know, like um, there's part of me that wonders if like constraints and guardrails are good sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like even for our great directors of the modern day, you know, like, you know, like. I know you think that Chris Nolan's best Batman movie is Batman Begins, where he definitely had the smallest budget. Um, You know, he was the comic book movies aren't worth aren't what they were now. Or you look at someone like Quentin Tarantino who lost his editor, uh, you know, three movies ago and makes these bloated, 
films now that are still good, but it's just like, I guess what I'm getting at is like Casablanca feels naturally constrained because of the studio system, uh, because of the, also because of, you know, special effects and not being able to shoot on location and everything like that. And like, you just wonder if that works within reason, if that works within with, to the favor of a, of a film, like you, you're forced to focus on, what you can really control. Um, and so you don't spend any time, you know, um, figuring up how to figure out how to blow up Rick's cafe in a dramatic <laughs> explosion. Um, well, it reminds me, it's, it's, it's a very weird comparison, but it's what I always think of when stuff like that comes up. Uh, Arrested Development, the TV show, when it was on Fox and they yeah. couldn't say fucking shit, so they had to bleep yeah. everything out and like cut away right. and do really, those were the best, those were the funny things. And then it went to Netflix and they could make episodes 28 minutes or 32 minutes right. instead of 21. Mm. And all of a sudden it wasn't as funny anymore. And I think a big part of that is having to be funny in response to being censored or in response to having those constraints like i do think not in every situation but in some that makes things better and i think definitely what you described and again there's a hundred million not a hundred million there's a thousand studio movies that didn't improve because of those constraints probably but you get this one gem and it sort of makes the thousand that didn't all understandable and worthwhile yeah i mean studios crush creativity that's and they they don't allow you to you know push boundaries Mm -hmm. you know they couldn't they couldn't show Rick and uh, Elsa like knocking boots like we know that we know they did because Elsa um, was married, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. the production code, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they, I mean, they, it's not like they would have shown a lot, even. Yeah, if they could. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, or even if she wasn't married, because they weren't married anyway. Anyway, um, you know, but uh, um, yeah, they're you know they're it's it's the Alfred Hitchcock thing, you know. It's the horror is better. Uh, when you have to imagine what you can't really see, right? Like the shower scene in Psycho is better because you, you're not really sure who's doing what, you know, what's happening, that sort of thing. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for getting me to watch this movie. It's great. <laughs> if our listeners out there are listening to a Casablanca podcast and haven't seen Casablanca, probably go see it. You're making weird <laughs> choices. I'm not sure why you're choosing this before that. So please, please go consume this movie because yeah. You're- we're not doing spoiler alerts. It came out 75 <laughs> years ago. It's your fault. And it's got the Steve Cimino stamp of approval now, which I'm sure means a lot to everyone listening to this podcast. So yeah. go yeah. forth. Andrew, as you noted, you um, were, the summer is heating up. There's a lot of movies coming out. Uh, you've seen Wonder Woman. I saw Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I suspect by the time this podcast comes out, those reviews will be up. So keep checking in, in realdeep.com. We're going to start making moves, adding some great summer content, get back on the podcast game. So there should be some fun things coming up for you on the website soon. I think you mean War of the Planet of the Apes. Sure, War of the Planet of the Apes, not Dawn. You're right. There's too what? many... We'll foot pata. We'll foot pata, not dot pata (laughs) or rock pata. (laughs) Thank you. That's a good clarification. (laughs) Yeah, just wanted. And Spider Man, you got up there. Spider Man, which is great. So yeah, there's some good stuff. I know we'll have Dunkirk in a couple weeks or whatever. So yeah, um, we might actually talk about Dunkirk after it happens. So I have to. I'm just thrilled that it's a Chris Nolan movie that's uh, an hour and forty five minutes long. Did you see the runtime? I did not. That's amazing. I'm very excited about that. That's real good. We'll be home in bed at a reasonable hour. I was expecting to go to a 7 o'clock show and be home at 11. Uh, And you need to hire a babysitter, so that saves you a couple bucks, too. Yep, yep. (laughs) All right, well, thank you, Andrew, for coming on. Welcome back. We're happy to have you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We always appreciate it. We'll be back soon. And for now, we'll be seeing you further on up the road. 
Adios. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. On that you can rely. No matter what the future brings, as time 